With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SubChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, a look at the week's news. Chinese telecom company ZTE has reached a deal with the U.S. to pay a $1 billion fine to end crippling American sanctions. A compliance team chosen by the U.S. will also be installed at ZTE, while the company is required to change its board of directors and executive team within 30 days, U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross said last week. ZTE, China's second largest telecom equipment maker, has suspended major operations after the U.S. slapped it with a seven-year ban for breaking an agreement prohibiting equipment sales to Iran. ZTE relies on U.S. companies such as Qualcomm and Intel for up to a third of its components. Foxconn Industrial Internet, which makes cloud service equipment and industrial robots, has become China's most valuable tech company after its shares surged 44% on its trading debut last week. The subsidiary of Foxconn, also known as Hanhai Precision Industry, said it would use the funds to upgrade production, such as improving smartphone manufacturing, as well as 5G and cloud computing projects. The IPO was the quickest ever in China thanks to a Beijing campaign to promote high-quality companies, taking only 36 days to get the securities regulators' approval. Chinese internet giant Tencent is in talks with the authorities to make its WeChat app a digital alternative for residents entering and exiting Guangdong province, Hong Kong, and Macau. The e-version will be encrypted and stored in WeChat as a QR code, and a user can verify their identity by scanning both their face and the code with a special machine, Tencent said. The project is designed primarily for the Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau, Greater Bay Area and will launch after discussions conclude between Tencent and the region's multiple authorities, the company said. China released detail information on 50 fugitives who allegedly committed economic crimes, as authorities continue to pursue what Beijing deems dirty officials and dodgy businessmen who have fled abroad. The Central Commission for Discipline Inspection, China's top graft buster, published information about the fugitives, including names, photos, ID and passport numbers, alleged offenses, and possible current whereabouts. According to the information, 23 fugitives may have fled to the U.S. Canada and New Zealand were also listed as common hiding spots. 
Of the 50 named, 21 have been on the run for more than 10 years. Most are accused of bribery, abuse of power, or embezzlement. China launched the so-called Skynet operation in 2015, targeting fugitives abroad. The operation captured more than 4,000 people from more than 90 countries and recovered $1.5 billion in assets so far, the watchdog said. General Motors announced plans to launch 10 more new energy vehicle models in China from 2021 to 2023, doubling the 10 it has already planned currently. The world's largest automaker is the latest to extend its electric car investments in China, which is gradually phasing out fossil fuel-powered vehicles. The moves could bring more competition to local brands that are now dominating China's market and could create more demand for local battery manufacturers. China, the world's largest car market, accounted for more than half of global electric vehicle sales last year, due largely to government subsidies and tax exemptions. But regulators are ending these subsidies and instead are implementing a quota system requiring all automakers to have a certain percentage of new energy vehicles among their sales. Short video app Douyin now has more daily downloads in China than any other free app, pushing it squarely ahead of rival Kuaishou. Both apps feature videos less than 60 seconds long, sometimes entertaining, sometimes educational, sometimes neither, uploaded by celebrities and ordinary users alike. The content is as varied as lip-syncing to pop music, sleepy toddlers nodding off while walking, recipes, and Excel spreadsheet formulas. As the pair's battle for attention seems to have reached a stalemate in China, they are trying to move their expansions overseas, where they face competition from not only each other, but also established short video giants such as Instagram and Snapchat. Douyin, known abroad as TikTok, is now one of the top apps in markets that include Thailand and Japan. Kuaishou, branded as Kuai outside China, was once the dominant short video app in Russia, but has since declined in the country and is seeking to tap into East Asian markets as well. China's highest paid celebrity, actress Fan Bingbing, is denying accusations that she evaded taxes by signing multiple contracts for the same movie roles. The scandal began last month when former CCTV host Cui Yongyuan posted photos on Weibo of two film contracts belonging to Fan. The contracts were for the same film, but with vastly different salaries, implying that she may have been disguising her income to avoid taxes. The allegations have prompted Chinese authorities to investigate the so-called dual contract system allegedly used by TV and movie stars. A public health epidemic has quietly developed in China, with over half of the adult population now either having high blood pressure or on course to develop it, and few are aware of the problem. Some 240 million Chinese, a quarter of the adult population, have hypertension, but only 15% use medication for the condition, compared with 55% in the United States, according to a recent study in the journal Circulation. Less than half of people living with hypertension are aware they have it, according to the study, which sampled 450,000 Chinese adults from 2012 to 2015. Besides salt intake, the causes include rising competition in the workplace, interpersonal pressure, poor sleeping habits, and binge eating and drinking, especially in China's big cities. For instance, more than a third of adults in Beijing and Tianjin have hypertension, compared with an average of only 15% in Hunan province. Experts say China has done a poor job controlling blood pressure in part because medical services have become less affordable. 
China's security regulator went live with a series of highly anticipated guidelines for so-called China depository receipts recently, setting the scene for the country's foreign listed tech titans to trade shares at home. For more on what these China depository receipts are and why we should care, let's turn to Liu Xiao, finance reporter at Caixin Global. Liu Xiao, let's start with just a basic understanding of what CDR's uh, China depository receipts are. Sure. So China depository receipts are basically a way for a company that's listed overseas to then list in China uh, by means of giving a portion of their shares to a custodian bank who then uh, puts these shares on an exchange. The unique thing about the CDRs is that they actually allow some of these huge Chinese names like Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu to list in China and be made available to Chinese investors. So tell us what's in these guidelines that the CSRC has issued and why they are in the news this week. The securities regulator here released detailed rules on the sort of mechanics of issuing a CDR, which means that companies can now uh, start applying and uh, have a portion of their shares be listed in China. This is a developing story and potentially a very big one. So let's check back in with you soon on this, okay? Sounds good. Thanks, Luxiao. Next up is Doug Young, Managing Editor of Caixin Global. Two stories from you, and the first one is a tech story. Tell us what's up. Uh, this story is all about memory chips, uh, which are there are two basic kinds, one called DRAM and one called NAND. But the bottom line is there are three global companies that control a big chunk of this market. Uh, two are South Korean, one's uh, Samsung, the other one's called Hynix. And then the third one is a U.S. company called Micron. So the story this time around is that apparently all three of these companies have been, quote, visited, uh, unquote, by Chinese anti-monopoly regulators. Uh, I've seen people throwing around different words about the nature of these visits. And some people are using the word raids, which seems like it might be a bit extreme. But anyhow, it seems like these regulators are, are paying calls on these companies, specifically looking at the prices of, of their memory chips, uh, because apparently they have been rising quite a bit for the last year or two. And it's essentially price-related, whether or not it's an anti-monopoly investigation, basically these guys trying to determine did these guys set prices uh, illegally is one possibility. Another theory that's sort of going around is that regulators are basically just concerned about the high prices in general and are trying to get these guys to sort of cap the prices because uh, China is actually the home to a lot of companies that use these chips. They're, they're a very central component in PCs and also in smartphones, a lot of other devices. And of course, a lot of those are here in China. So when the prices for chips go up, the prices at these device makers also go up. So is there any precedent for this kind of action on the part of regulators? Actually, there's a, a very similar case from a, a few years ago involving another big uh, chip maker, Qualcomm, which is the U.S. company that makes sort of the central memory chips for a lot of smartphones. Um, Caixin has one name source saying that some of their members complained. It was a, a cell phone association, a Chinese cell phone association. And, you know, it's sort of what you would expect, but you don't really hear it. No one ever talks about it. But these Chinese companies, you know, they're getting squeezed and they're going to their regulator and saying, hey, help us. You know, these guys are doing stuff we don't like. And, you know, sometimes it's really market forces. But in this case, maybe it's some form of collusion. 
And even if it's not collusion, the regulator you know, is trying to be protective of these home homegrown companies. Uh, the case I was talking about before was that Qualcomm had been investigated for sort of anti-competitive clauses in its contracts, like requiring them to do all sorts of weird things. Um, and in that case, the companies also went to the regulator and complained, and Qualcomm uh, ended up getting fined a huge amount. They ended up getting fined like about a billion dollars and and forced to sign new contracts with all the Chinese smartphone makers. Okay, Doug, let's uh, let's move to that second story you wanted to chat about, which is a solar story about overcapacity and about state subsidies. What's what's going on here? Sounds like quite a major move. Yeah, this story is that uh, China has been for the last probably six, seven years, has been really trying to build up local solar power generation. Uh, it's multi-reasons. Uh, one is, you know, the obvious. You want to go to cleaner energy, renewable energy. The second reason is also just because uh, more than half of the world's solar panels are now made in China. So, you know, this is like essentially throwing a bone to, you know, your domestic industry, especially because U.S. and Europe have been putting all these protectionist tariffs, anti-dumping tariffs, I guess, which is protectionist sort of, on Chinese panels. So the situation is that the industry's just been getting built up really rapidly in terms of solar power generation over the last four or five years. And what helped to contribute to this rapid buildup was subsidies. Uh, you know, the solar power right now is more expensive than traditional coal power to generate. So the the government was basically providing subsidies, telling the power grid operator, you have to buy power at this uh, from these solar companies at a higher price than you would pay to coal companies. That's the background. And then uh, just over the weekend, I guess, this thing has just been building up and building up and, and China's just been adding power or capacity at a breakneck pace. And over the weekend, they said said they're not giving subsidies for anybody who builds a new solar farm from now on, which is a huge blow to any developers because suddenly, you know, they've lost all their government incentives and they, they can only build a solar farm if they think they can sell the power competitively at a competitive price to coal. And then for solar farms that were under construction, they'll continue to get be able to get a subsidy, but they even slashed the price of that as well, the amount of the subsidy. So basically, this is sending a very strong signal that no more solar power construction, unless you think you can do it at a commercially competitive rate without government assistance. I would imagine that the impact of this might be quite substantial. Would I be wrong in assuming that? Clearly, investors were spooked by it because the the stocks of all the big solar companies fell by a lot. A bunch of the ones in China all fell by the daily 10% limit the day after the news was announced. What's going to be the long-term effect? I mean, it does seem like we'll probably see a pretty sharp drop in demand Maybe not immediately because projects that are already under construction have already, you know, signed their orders and so forth. But, you know, for projects maybe like six months down the road that hadn't finalized any of their details, those are going to start to come to a halt. You know, what will be interesting to see will be if people feel confident enough to, to keep building or to start building stuff that's commercially, you know, viable on its own without government support. 
Uh, my guess is probably not. So we'll probably see a big chill in new construction, you know, probably starting towards, uh, you know, next year, because this year projects are already in the pipeline and they've already gotten their government subsidies. But next year we'll probably see a big drop off and, you know, that'll be tough for the solar panel makers. Okay, well, thanks, Doug, as always. And I look forward to catching up with you again next week. And that's this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Lee Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Check out the latest podcast in the Seneca Network, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China podcast, as well as our flagship current affairs show. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SubChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.